Welcome to the premiere episode of Speaking of Everything, the podcast where sports, politics, journalism, and music intersect in interesting ways. I'm your host, Doug Farrar of USA Today's Sports Media Group and the author of The Genius of Desperation. In episode one, I speak of everything with Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll and performance expert Dr. Michael Gervais about their new Audible project, Compete to Create, an approach to living and leading authentically. Based on the mindset training and culture building platform co-founded by Carol and Gervais, Compete to Create provides a blueprint to unlock your authentic self, explore the edges of your potential, and live a life of purpose and meaning. Later in the show, Pete talks about racial equality in the NFL in ways I've never heard from a head coach at any level. Pretty interesting stuff. Without further ado, let's get rolling with episode one of Speaking of Everything. Hey, Doug, what's behind the curtain? Uh, <laughs> small office, <laughs> West Seattle. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time because I'm sure you guys are doing a bunch of these, but, um, Michael, I want to start with you. Uh, tell me how you first met Pete and how it came about that you decided to do compete to create together. I've heard the audible. And I kind of know the story, but I'd like you to tell it. Oh, cool. Thank you. Uh, we were put together by a mutual friend and, um, it was over a dinner event and we had just a great conversation it was switched on about the psychology of becoming what sits underneath um, people who become their very best and are working towards potential and we talked about shared passions both from a nonprofit standpoint as well as a sports standpoint and as, as well as a humanitarian effort and then um, at the end of that conversation Pete says hey why don't you come up and see what we're doing see what he's you know see what I'm working on building or what we're working on up in Seattle and I took him up on the offer and I'll tell you, uh, I'd been in pro sport before and it was fundamentally different. It was, it was nothing like I'd ever seen before. There was, uh, it was just a, it's hard to put a word to it because culture is um, the fabric of the relationships. You know, it's that, that connection that relationships hold. And it was just, it was very different and it was upbeat and it was positive And it was, um, it was something that uh, I was excited to be, uh, to get to know better. And so that was the beginning of uh, our relationship. He, you had to really lean in and all into this to make it work. What about Michael made that an easy, I mean, because you probably get pitches all the time. What was different about Michael that made this an easy decision? Yeah, it's true. I, I, I had heard from a lot of guys over the years, you know, back in college and for a long time back. And, and uh, when Mike and I started communicating and talking and, and uh, making sense, it just fit, you know. And, and I, I was really hopeful that um, at that when that's when Mike came up, I was really hopeful that we could start a relationship that might work out for both of us, you know, and, and so we're very open to it and, and just kind of found that there was real common ground in our background and the things that we believed in and really like Mike would say to, you know, I'm, I kind of come from a humanistic psychology background and Mike, you know, is totally well versed and understands all that stuff as well as everything else he, he, he worked at, um, which really made sense to me and helped me, you know, find my way. And, and, uh, so he's helped me make sense of a lot of things that I was doing all along that I, I didn't really, I didn't know how to call it. You know, I didn't know what, what they were, or what, what the principles were. I was just doing it. And so the, through the process, we've, you know, that's where, how we got to see to see, you know, we came all the way to create a company that, that we would help people on the outside of our, our program too, if, if they're interested. And we found a lot of, a lot of following in that. You mentioned the humanistic background, I and mean, you told me that yeah, I think you had a term paper on Maslow and self-actualization. So you're you've been deep into that for a long time. How much of the the humanistic side comes into coaching? And I mean, how much of it is just football? But but really, so much of it is human relations and teaching, and it, it's more than just you know 
brown right sprint right option you really have to connect with these people you have to bring them in yeah i, I think so I, th I think it's why we embrace the, the the entire individual you know as we go through the program and then we and, and to try to help them develop and find their best and, and put everything in 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 line with with you know being fully what they're capable of becoming and, and so i mean it's as mike said the discussion started on becoming and it's still there now um, it doesn't matter what sport you're playing or what you're doing, whether you're working and being a family man or whatever. I think it's all the same in, in that, you know, you, you, you have a chance to find your best. And, and uh, in our world, we're, we're going to try to help you find it and find your way and get there. And uh, I think Mike's Mike's in connection with specifically the performance aspect of things and what it takes to get your body and your mind all together um, has been so instrumental. And, and it's always been there. It's just we just have not always been able to develop it. And teach it and, and, and develop our skills. And Mike's you know, great at doing it. In compete to create, Pete, you talk about you both talk about developing a philosophy. And Pete, your example is always compete, which you've talked about for a long time. I'd like to ask you to expand on that because it goes beyond a buzzword, but it's hard to amplify that in just two words. What does always compete mean to you in a larger sense? Yeah, it's about striving. You know, it, it's the compete word is really to me is about striving, and uh, and so if, if you're always striving. To, to be whatever you're capable of being, if you're striving to find your best way, um, then then that's what that's where the compete word, you know, can sometimes mislead somebody. Um, but uh, the the thought of it is that you're always in process. You know, that the process is what's most important. It's not actually getting there necessarily, because you know, who's ever gets to be your the best you've ever been? <laughs> I don't know. A few of them have, but the, most of us are trying to figure our way in that direction. Uh oh. So no, I just, it's okay. Somebody called it. Um, so you know that's that's really it's really what it is about, and, and it's it's about helping others find their way, you know, and and, uh, and becoming fully what they're capable of being, and, and that that's really been an exciting thing. That even though it's always compete, it's a pretty simple way of saying it. It helped me because I'm pretty simple anyway. So you know, if I'm a competitor, then I want to always compete, and then the central theme of the program is competition, and I'm going to be able to create a theme out of that that, that makes sense to other people that I can I can direct them. That's what that's what happened. That's what, that's what came to be. Michael, you talked near the end of chapter three of the Audible about developing optimism and how it's easier now because we as a set of societies are kind of further away from a constant worry about absolute survival than we have been. And that's changed entirely in the last few months because you talked about being eaten by tigers and we're all kind of being eaten by tigers right now. How have you each found, both of you in your, in your different disciplines, how have you each found that challenging to maintain that kind of relentless optimism that's developed and trained in the face of an epidemic the likes of which we've never seen in our lifetimes because it, it, it you know michael it takes us back to as you said being eaten by tigers maybe michael you go first sure thank you is that so optimism let's just define it first optimism is the fundamental belief that the future is going to work out and it's a trained skill so the lenses that you see the world through is trainable and essentially, I want to talk about a nuance between our brain and our mind. Our brain's dictum is to survive. It's to manipulate the environment, to move in such a way for survival, to give us our best chance. And it's a meaning-making machine based on our experiences. And so that's the dictum of the brain is to survive. The software that is running that hardware is our mind. And optimism is one of, optimism or pessimism is one of the key keyholes, right? It's one of the key ingredients for a robust, we believe, a robust software. 
And so what does optimism do? It's the ability to look at any situation, especially the hard ones, if you're skilled at optimism, and say, okay, if I can navigate with my partners in the process, and sometimes by myself, but if I can navigate this, something good's gonna work out. And then the thing that we hope is gonna work out is a flourishing for others. That's essentially what this, this book and our program is built on, is to help others flourish. And it first begins with your approach in life based on your principles that we want to help you discover what those principles are that are foundational to you. And then to develop the mental skills to be able to navigate emotionally uh, challenging environments. So if you just have the principles but don't have the mental skills, it's good, but then there's, there's going to be some sticky points, right? If you just had mental skills but weren't anchored to core principles, then we end up running quite thin. And so this is the balance between the two and optimism sits right at the center of staying in difficult environments because you believe that if you can stay in it long enough, it's going to work out. So how do you, in a situation like this, which is unprecedented in our lifetimes, how, how do you do that? Because it sounds good. And I mean, I agree with it, but you know, the, the skeptic might say it sounds good, but come on, look at this. Oh, it doesn't. So naive, let's talk about naive optimism. Naive optimism is the belief it's going to work out in the face of uh, contrary evidence, in the face of not, not actually doing the work. So true optimism is built on the back of what is the work I need to do to prepare myself and the work I need to do with others to move through a scenario. So this is actually at the center of mental toughness. And for us to move through the next phase of humanity 3.0 or 4.0, wherever we might be in our in our arc with our ancestors, it's gonna require um, discipline. It's gonna require a discipline of thought, a discipline of embracing empathy when, it's, when we feel triggered to defend ourselves, a curiosity and listening and being grounded in the experience when it's hard. And remember, our brain wants to pop us out. It wants us to be a cynic and protect ourselves where what we're suggesting is to stay in the hard conversations, to be a great empathetic listener and a compassionate doer and to do that from a position of strength by embracing the fragility and the strength of all people around us to go to version 5.0, wherever we might be. And wear a mask, ding, ding. Uh, Pete, how have you, I mean, how has this affected you? Just as a person, as a coach, you're talking to players, you're trying to get a season rolling, there's so much uncertainty. Kind of where are you with all this? Yeah, I mean, full, full on mode, really, Doug. This is the time I'm, I'm battling. Um, I'm battling to understand all of the information that's out there so that we can make the right choices and decisions to protect everybody and, and keep everybody safe and, and do the right things, you know, and, and not be clouded by the, the mission so much of the, the, you know, what we're doing on a, on a regular basis to, to keep our guys uh, where they're healthy and they're well and, and, and we're moving forward and we're looking after them in the best way possible. So how's it affected me? Um, I'm on, you know, I, I, this is not a normal summer. This is, this is not the break time that we, you know, that we always enjoy and part of it is the uncertainty out there too you know that uncertainty causes you know some disruption and, and, and discomfort and all that unless you know it's going to work out and you know if uh, you know you say oh, hey, how are we going to you know we're going to make through these hard things well it's going to end eventually and we're going to get through it and unfortunately the, the hit is we're taking is so so enormous but it, but we will find our way to the other end of this and that maybe that's optimism or I'd like to think it's real that you know, there's going to be vaccines and there's going to be times when we put the stuff to, behind us and, and we'll be better for it with really good leadership. It would make it, it would help, you know, and, yeah. and all that. But, uh, so, um, you know, I, 
I think more than ever, I've been a student, you know, more than ever. I mean, I've been a student of this whole process for months. It's almost, it's been six months of watching what's going on, four months where we've really been in it, but it's been happening for a long time here. Is to try to find out how we can adapt to these times and get what we want to get done with our lives and all that. And that's right now we're trying to play some ball, you know, but we're trying to play football, but we got to be healthy and we got to take care of one another. So there's so many elements, new elements to, of concern that, um, that we're dealing with. And, and I'm just trying to be, I'm trying to be great at it. You know, really, I want to be the best there is at doing it and, and help, help our guys do this better than, than anybody could ever imagine. And, and uh, we killed it during the zoom period during the, the off season in a way I, I really, I couldn't envision that it would go as well as it did. It went great. And, and we, you know, we accomplished a lot. We're smarter than we've ever been. Well, the transition that we make now will be huge, but, um, you know, who would have thought we could come out of the offseason and say, wow, this was an extraordinary offseason and learning and teaching and, and concepts. And then all of the social stuff that we dealt with and the, and the personal stuff we've dealt with has just been so challenging but necessary. And, 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 and uh, uh, hopefully we're going to really make a turn here that's going to be extraordinary and, and all that. So there's so much happening, even though we've been sitting at home. You know, it's amazing. It's, a, it's just amazing. Well, the social stuff, I want to thank you for the segue. I've covered your locker rooms in Seattle since you came here in, t in 2010, and you've never been afraid to draft and sign players who are what I would call intelligently outspoken. Sherman and Bennett would be two really good examples. You've marched recently with a quality shirt. You're obviously aware of the recent and rapid increase in NFL players who are not only protesting, but speaking their minds as never before. What are your thoughts on where this is going and where it needs to go? Well, this is, this is time for transformation. This is that time, Doug. This is, it, there's been moments in the past, there, it was, there's been an ongoing enormous moment throughout our entire lives that we have not answered the call to, and now we have to do this. And so uh, the necessity of the moment is, is, has to be supported by the love and the vision uh, of, of moving forward and, and taking care of uh, areas that we've been wrong you know, over, over in our past. And so hopefully, um, you know, we're, we're we're going to do a great job of this, and, and uh, we're not we're not going to back off the topic at any time with, with the people in our organization because we all have to grow, we all have to learn, and, and uh, we all have to come to understand what it means to you know to to live in a society that everybody is loved and everybody is cared for and everybody is equal. And there are people that work against us in that regard. There are people that don't want to see it that way, and, and they don't see it that way. So we're going to have to overcome with with our, our you know connection with our love with our vision with our um, with our intellect um, with our empathy in, in, in all of that to, to make this happen so an extraordinary time do you think the NFL should do more to make its players feel comfortable and supportive and when speaking out about civil rights because before George Floyd was killed and after Colin Kaepernick sort of mysteriously disappeared I had talked to players two or three who said in different iterations I don't want what happened to Colin Kaepernick to happen to me I would ask pointed social justice questions and I'd have guys say, I can't. Do you think the NFL should do more to make players feel supported and comfortable to say what they want to say? I really firmly believe that we need to listen to the players. I think the players need to be respected. I mean, I've got a big thing about this, Doug, going way back to the history of this game. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> I don't think players have been respected for – for what they have brought to this to our society, they brought us a game and, and a, an allegiance to our areas and, the, and what we love and, and stand for and all of that. And they have risked so much to do that. But without them, we we have nothing, you know. And, and 
over the course of time, our players have become more, um, just more versed and, and more prepared to, to have so much to offer uh, as we move forward. Their vision and their connection to what's going on culturally and socially uh, is, is, is at the essence of what's going on right now. And so we should be listening to them. And, and you know, I always have and I always try to find a way to, to I've always felt like that and this isn't new. So, but um, it's more important now than ever. Um, because there's a lot of white guys that don't know what they need to know right now. And there's a lot to be learned and, and there's a lot to understand. And there's a lot, our, our history has not, uh, you know, not worked properly for us to understand the real truth and reality of what's going on in, in the world of, of minority groups and people that, that deserve the consideration and the love um, that everybody does. And, and so um, hopefully, um, you know, through listening and positioning our players speak that they they've got to find their voice too in this so that their voice can be constructive and productive and and all of that which they want to and they will if we give them enough chance and so um it's challenging it's challenging for leaderships to give the voice to the people and, and that's it's supposed to be that way in our in our society but it's challenging and most people most of those on top try to control it and they try to manage it so that they get what they want out of it that's not what I'm saying here. I, I think, I think it'll work and it, it'll work to our betterment if the players do have the voice and they do have the, the leadership opportunity, and we follow along with them. They're going to help us go where we need to go. Particularly now, seventy-five uh, percent of our league is black players, and they they deserve and they they have um, they have the wisdom that is necessary for us to, to to learn from. Without understanding their story. We don't understand what's going on in the world, and I'm talking about white people. And we have to, we have to position them to speak and, and, and teach us. It's like you're reading my questions. Thanks again for the segue. Seventy-five percent roster population is black. Three black head coaches, two black GMs. How do we get from where we are? Because it used to be eight, and there was that, you know, "quote unquote" Black Monday a couple of years ago, and none of those guys were replaced by other black coaches. How do we get from where we are to where we need to be? one step at a time, one step at a time. We have, to, we have to do it for all of the right reasons. We've got to recognize the representation that needs to be so that the league can, can be at its best. Our black players need to have black coaches to help them understand stuff, as well as the white coaches. We, we need the, 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 the mix of, of all people to bring around the right message that represents. And, and I, I just, we just do it one step at a time by hiring guys one step at a time and, and, and fill those spots up with real concern and earnest that it's necessary to be done. Gentlemen, thank you both so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Stay safe out there. All right, Doug, you too. Thanks, thank man. you, Doug. Hope Thanks. to see you soon, Pete. Thank All you. right. We will. Thank you, Doug.